0: The High Motor Podcast is back today, Friday, June 21st. 64 days until college football kicks off Florida Miami, Arizona Hawaii on Saturday, August 24th. Florida Miami, probably the best week zero game, actually, definitely the best week zero game we've ever had. And I'm curious, what happens when we have a game the weekend before that. What happens when this, this steroid scheduling gets out of control and we start college football season August 17th, August 18th, August 15th, around that weekend before the week zero now? What happened? What are we calling that if it happens? Are we just going to push everything back so that the current week zero becomes week one, the current week one becomes week two and so on? Or are we just going to have a, a two-week week zero? Are we just going to make something up? Because I'm not going to play the week negative one game. Not going to say it like that. You sound like an idiot when you say it like that. At any rate, 64 days until Florida, Miami, Arizona, Hawaii on August 24th. Andrew Dowdy here on the High Motor Podcast. Feels good to be back after a little bit of a break. And we have one, two, three great pieces of news today. The most recent episode of High Motor, that was more with Melora Harden a couple weeks ago. That racked up the second most plays of any episodes of the show. Yeah, we're still a young show. Just since the new year, I think we're 23, 24 episodes in. But still, awesome to see those numbers. Number two, this is a big one. The baby is home. She is finally home. Appreciate the notes uh, from those of you who sent them after I mentioned on the pod a couple of weeks ago. She is home. She is healthy. She is doing great. And number three, Todd Graham is on the show today. Graham, he hasn't been on the sidelines since his final game at Arizona State. That was the bowl game in 2017. He was rumored to be part of mutual interest for some jobs after that and last year, and he said he wants another job, so he's on the show today, and then also on the next episode of High Motor, Jim Weber, and that'll be back to Mondays, so this episode's dropping on today, Friday, um, but the next episode, Jim Weber, that'll be back to Mondays, so next Monday, July 1st, Jim uh, Weber of Lost Letterman lore, that'll be fun as well, but right now, let's get it rolling with Todd Graham on the High Motor Podcast. Todd Graham, former Arizona State head coach, former Tulsa, former Pittsburgh head coach. Coach, uh, what are you up to these days?
1: Well, you know, I took this last year off and, and, you know, just really focused on my family. And uh, actually, my wife wrote a book, and uh, I kind of was involved in that. I forwarded it and uh, really did just, you know, I've been working 30 straight years. And uh, she wanted me to take some time and really been with the family and kind of reboot it's been it's been an unbelievable year obviously i would have never done that i would have never taken off but getting to go around i've gotten to go and visit other programs like i haven't been able to do in the past I, i went to the patriots training camp last year i've never been able to do that uh you know going around and studying other programs and exchanging ideas and really really recharging your batteries and 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 the creative and innovative side of it has been really, really positive. And heck, I think I'm a lot better coach. Uh, I know I'm a better father and a better husband uh, by, by taking that time and, and really refocusing on, on uh, you know, just uh, uh, my, my values.
0: And uh,
1: so we're excited, but we're ready. Hopefully hopefully in December we'll be back to have a new program and be ready to roll.
0: So you said you think that you're a better coach. So after that first year away from football, and like you said, 30 years, and as far as I can tell, you haven't really had any break during those 30 years. Do you see the game differently now uh, after that year away from coaching?
1: No, I think think one of the things that it gave me time to do is, first thing I did is really assess, you know, assess everything. And, you know, I was – you know, we I was the third winningest coach uh, in wins at Arizona State and we did some good things but really assessing, hey, you know, why did we just win eight, you know, eight eight games a year instead of ten games a year and, you know, I guess in my twelve years as a head coach I've had, you know, six of those have been double digit winning seasons and and uh, you know, just really trying to assess that. I've been the ten out of twelve postseasons, so I just went back and looked and said, hey, how can we you know, what can we do better? And really I looked at it I can't you know, it, assessing and looking at, you know, uh, how we did things and how we evolved. One of the biggest things that stuck out to me is how you have to ad- adapt and evolve, how much the game has changed, not in the last 10 years, in the last two years, how much the game has uh, evolved, and you got to constantly stay up on that. And one of the things that's a challenge, you're constantly recruiting, you're constantly developing, you know, and, and you know, getting interest in your program, meeting with donors, you know, speaking engagements. Coaching a football team, you know, uh, you know, obviously going to practice, doing all those things. That that there's that, that there's not a lot of time to do that, and so uh, that's one of the things. So the years we've been on, the, I think we've I've been fortunate to be around, you know, and hire some great coaches. I got ten or eleven of my former assistants that are, you know, Division One head football, I've been Division One head football coaches. So being around creative teachers and staying on the cutting edge of how the game of football, how we're developing and training players, uh, you know, the schemes and, and how the schemes are evolving and what you do. That's very different from one conference to the next. Obviously it's very different from college to the NFL. So that's been the bit to me. It's been rejuvenating to me. You know, you've seen a lot of things that we've done right, but also getting some being around some you know, being around some coaches and getting some ideas and getting some things that I think are gonna really help us moving forward. And I really think uh, that I'll be a better head football coach from what I've learned the last year.
0: And over the last uh, 18 months or so, you've repeatedly said that you'd like to coach again. You just said hopefully come December uh, you will be at a new program. But you did turn down jobs, you also said, right after Arizona State. Are you willing to say what those opportunities were, uh, why they weren't right for you, and what you are looking for in the next job? Well, You
1: know, one, I want to be a head football coach, and, and I want to be in a place that uh, – you know, it has the same standards and values, and that I feel like I fit. You know, you don't fit every place. That's one thing that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, uh, where I've gone to a place and only been there a year, you know, those are those are places that you make a mistake how you, you fit a program. So, I want to make sure it's a great fit for me, and and my, my family had sacrificed so much, you know, over 30 years. I've got a son that, you know, is playing football, and he's a uh, he actually was a sophomore this year, going to be a junior next year. And, you know, getting to go watch every one of his practices it was, was, you know, tremendous. I've never gotten to do that and watch all of his games. But, uh, you know, I just, um, you know, I, the, the programs that it it just, it wasn't the right thing. If, but if I would have gotten offered a job that I felt like was a great fit, uh, I would have probably done it. But, there you know, there wasn't that many and, uh, you know, g- you know, geographically, there's certain areas where, you know, I feel like I'm the strongest in the Southwest and in the South. Uh, you know, I've coached in the Pac 12 and, and coached in conference I've been at Tulsa and Rice and Texas. So, you know, we also, you know, we want to live where we want to live. And, and, and you also, you want to be in a place where recruiting and, and, and your culture fits. So I'm looking for, we're looking for the right fit and, and uh, we're just being prayerful that the right one will come along. But to this point, you know, I've almost I almost took a few few things that uh that I'm you know, I'm very very thankful that I didn't because I I would have just done it just to be coaching and because it's hard. It's it, that's been one of the hardest things. is Just I just want to coach. I want to compete. I want to be you know, and, and having your own program for as long as I have, you know, not only was I a head coach for 12 years, I was a head high school coach for about nine years. So so I spent you know you know 20. Some years you know, being a head football coach and it's having your own program and making a difference in kids' life that's something that I'm very passionate about, so just being patient and 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 also taking this time and listen to advice you know from other coaches, guys like Mac Brown that have been through it and and said, you know you know be patient, you know be be thoughtful The key is 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 making the you know having the right fit and I, I think sometimes as coaches, I know in my career I thought I could go anywhere. And we could win and be successful. And uh, I just don't, you know, I, you know, after, you know, having some experiences and going through some things, I've realized that, uh, you know, you have to fit a place. You have to fit the culture that's there at the university, and and there's a geographical fit where you, uh, you, you know, how you run your program and the players you're going to recruit and what the recruiting base is uh, are things that I think are are really really important
0: if possible, I'm I'm kinda of curious if you would try to kind of put us in your shoes. And know you mentioned geographical fit. Um a, a lot of head coaches have talked about relationship leadership, uh that kind of stability within an athletic department. I mean, do you kind of I mean you said December, that's what are we, five, five and a half months out from, from then? That's not too long. Do you kind of keep your eye on a handful of programs and, and think that maybe that would be an opening that I, you know, would both be interested in and then have mutual interest uh in that direction is a way to put us yeah. in your shoes?
1: Yeah. The craziest thing about, about being a coach is that it it's, it's, you know, the hiring process is pretty much in December and January. That's it. You know, for head coaching jobs, the, the, the only cycle is that there's two months a year that those jobs are going to come open. So you kind of just look and, and obviously I've got, you know, uh my agent Jimmy Sexton, it does a great job. And, and they, they kind of you know, look and see what are the possibilities. And, uh, but really it's just a, you know, being patient and being prepared. And what I've done is not sit around and wait for a job. i prepared every day and developing my, my, uh, my system offensively, defensively and, uh, uh, you know, special teams wise, having an overall plan to win, how we train and develop our athletes integration, uh, technology into teaching and coaching football and how that can, help give us a competitive edge so my whole deal has been really working and being proactive i've got coaches like coach chip long at, at notre dame to work with and coach mike norvell at memphis i'll uh, gus malzahn at auburn chad morris at arkansas i've got a lot of guys that are out there that i'm you know i'm constantly exchanging ideas and working with this to really be prepared so that i you know when, I, when that the right job comes open and that call you get that call that you're you're ready to go and you've got a great plan and and, uh, but also I think, you know, what's so important is that I'm not just looking for any job. I'm looking for the right one. And, uh, and so I think it's important to be patient with that. Cause you know, I didn't, you know, I looked at, uh, you know, last year I probably looked at three, uh, or four head coaching jobs and, uh, uh, Know just the right ones didn't happen or or wouldn't 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 open.
0: Now, I had Dan Hawkins on the show a few months back, and he was really candid about his dismissal from Colorado. I don't remember his exact words, but he basically said that he took it very very hard. It was the first time in his career, after you know a few decades, that he had been fired. And, and coach, I'm curious how did how did you take it, and what was the the feeling coaching that bowl game 18 months ago, knowing that that was going to be your last game at Arizona State.
1: You know, we had opportunities. Whenever we had you know back to back double digit winning seasons to go other places and we really had you know planted our roots here and and we committed but I mean you know I got six seasons here uh, six great seasons I mean one of the, I mean one of the best things I've ever done is come to Arizona State uh, I, I raised the money and was a part of developing great relationships with a donor here built fifty you know fifty seven million dollar new football complex state-of-the-art teaching and training facilities. The technology and innovation in that building is going to help that program uh, moving forward. Uh, but I was very grateful, and I, I, you know, I encourage young coaches or other coaches to go through it. I I, I actually did a press conference. A lot of coaches don't. But right when I got let go, I did a press conference and talked about how grateful I was. And I understand this business a lot of times, you know, people want to bring their own people. Even though I walked to five out of six bowl games, won eight games a year, and the third winningest coach in history, you, you still got to let go. But when I went back and looked at it, I said, you know, when we won eight games a year. We should have won 10 games. Instead of having those games, we won, you know, eight or nine games. We should have won 10 like we did in 13 and 14. And so, you know, I looked at it as a blessing, and I think that's one of the things that uh, I felt like it was an opportunity for me to show my players. Hey, I've been talking about values, about care, about discipline, about integrity, and 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 how you handle it And and so it was an opportunity for me you know, like, uh, to show my players how you handle that. And I really was. I was sincerely grateful. And you know, there was nothing. I, I really don't have any bitterness.
0: Now going back to something you said earlier that the changes and evolution in college football, and since your last game, like I said about eighteen months ago, we've already seen significant changes in the sport on and off the field, uh especially off the field among them the transfer portal what's your take on the portal from what from what you've heard um from what you've seen across college football
1: I think the transfer portal is is there, there's good and there's bad with it i I do you know feel like that when i young man graduates from college, you know, they have an opportunity to go somewhere and be able to advance himself in a year. It's, it's, it obviously, I don't think it's for everybody, but I do, I don't have any problem with it. I think offering more uh, flexibility for the players and be more player driven, obviously player safety are the biggest issues you're, you'll face it. On the same hand, you don't want to just open transfer. I think that that would be a disaster to have that because that, that would cause a lot of issues, uh, with compliance and it just be almost a, you know, free for all. But, uh, the other thing about the transfer portal is, is the amount of kids that have gone into that. And I think at the end of it, there's going to be a lot of kids left without a scholarship. That's the, that's the, that's the, the challenge too, is that, you know, um, just because they go on the transfer portal don't mean someone, uh, is, is obligated to pick them up. So yeah, I think with the amount of kids that I've seen in it, there's a good chance a lot of them will be left out without a scholarship, and that, 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 that would not be a good thing. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, refining it and figuring out ways to make it better I think are good, but I, do, I think when a guy graduates, he should have the opportunity to do that.
0: And You mentioned that you're worried about the scholarship situation with the transfer portal. Any other concerns as you've sat a, a little bit away from the game for the last year and a half, any other concerns that you have now about college football either on or off the field that maybe you didn't necessarily notice uh, back when you were on the sideline?
1: You know, I think one of the the, the great improvements is, is, you know, I think the number one issue is obviously player safety. And you know, with all the things with concussions and those type of things, and what can we do to make the game safer? Obviously, I think the second thing is what can we do? I'm big on this. That's something in every program that I've been at, uh, you know, it was it was important to me to graduate my players and not only graduate them, but uh, have them excel academically. And, you know, I was at Arizona State all six years I was there. We set a record every year for GPA. We had over a 3.0 GPA from a 2.2 when I took the job and obviously graduating. your players at a high level and, and, and being, you know, being just as competitive in the classroom and offer them that opportunity, I think is a big deal too. And so their time. And, and one of the things I was big is integrating technology into teaching football to maximize their time, to, to, to really make it where they're not having to spend all that time at the facility. Uh, obviously, in training the athlete physically uh rehabilitation physically for the injuries, they spend a lot of time not not just learning you know, learning football so it's a it's a full time job being a college football player and then being a college you know student and being competitive and you know, highly competitive in the classroom and I felt like what they're doing academically is going to last them the, you know the, pretty much their lifetime and you know football's going to be a temporary deal that and valuable lessons that it's taught. There's no question the value of it. But you know, that's something that I think is, is big is that that we continue to focus on on um you know maximizing their time and, and their efficiency and better ways we can get them more support academically and as much support as we can is big. And then player safety. I, I think the player safety is number one. I think what they've done with you know with tackling and teaching tackling. The other thing that I'm concerned about is, it's so important for us, we, to play the game safely, it's important to be able to teach fundamentals to the players. So as you continue to take away practice time to teach fundamentals, then that, that can make the game not as safe. Uh, if you don't, you know, if you've got a young kid coming in and, and, uh, you know, a lot of guys when they're freshmen in, in college and stuff are still, you know, obviously learning and learning how to tackle, learning how to block, learning those type of things, learning how to contact someone and to do it in a safe manner. It takes some, it takes, you know, a mastery of fundamental technique and that requires practice time and those type of things. So it's important that there's a balance. It's, it's not do nothing. I don't think it's safe not to ever. You know, have any contact, and then you're going to have full contact on the Saturday. That doesn't make sense, and in, in training. Uh, but I think there's, you know, continue to study, continue to do those things uh, to make the game safer. I think is is something that, uh, you know, taking this year and really watching and seeing those things and the things that are being instituted, I think are really, really, um, uh, are, are really been improvements in the game. And then, you know, you know, I think continuing to to make sure that we just don't re, be, re, I, I don't like when they just change rules. I don't like when they, I mean, there, there needs to be a why, there needs to be a process and uh, kind of how rules get changed. Uh, and because it, it, you don't want to like knee jerk make decisions and then you come back and it goes the other way. And, and all those type of things, like whether you know some things that they're looking at whether, whether you know the kickoff or the kickoff return is that a safe play? You know, they just need to research and study those things because kind of how it's happened in the past is how the rules committee and how it's communicated with the coaches who actually are the teachers who who incorporate safety into what they're doing, uh, is, is really really key. So that's the thing I think from a scheme standpoint, what's really changed is. You know, obviously the the RPO game and the uh, you know the the rules how they favor the offense. You have to be a team that scores points. You know, and obviously the team that plays the best defense is going to win the game, and they're going to win the championships. So that's still not changed. So, but but I do think there's things that are constantly evolved with. You know, it kind of all things all kind of come in a circle. Uh, You you know, back back when I was first started, there was the wing tee and the wishbone, and man, the triple option was hard to stop. Well, then then people kind of went to the spread. You know, you had the, you know the you know the uh, uh, you know the the the, the, throwing the ball, the air raid offense. uh, um, You know, the run and shoot was really the first air raid offense, and then and so people kind of going to to throwing the ball. Utilizing fast-paced, uh, you know, no huddle offenses, and so, so. Uh, but really, what the RPO game is is has gone to today is that it is really difficult to play defense. You all, you have to match to stop the RPO. You got to stop the run. Stop the run. You're playing zone. The pass is going to be open. So the only way to stop the pass is to match up and play man. So it forces matchups and creativity. And then, you know, there's so many – when I was in the Pac-12, I played Stanford, a pro-power football team. Then I played, you know, Washington State, Air Raid. There'd be two or three Air Raid teams, right? And then you'd play Oregon, Arizona State, you know, at the time UCLA, that were spread, no huddle, fast-paced offense. So the diversity in offenses – it makes it hard. So do you play an odd front? Or do you play an even front? Well, if somebody's playing multiple tight ends. I like to have four, at least four guys on the front, right? If if a guy doesn't play with any tight ends or an error rate, I like to be in an odd front. So, so then you start trying to personnel a team. You got 41, 42 scholarships on defense. How do you get all that done? And so it's, it's a challenge. I think younger kids are having to play faster because of that because most teams are being multiple and being able to put more speed on the field and be able to match up uh, whether there's two wide receivers on the field or five wide receivers on the field, you have to be able to match up to those situations. And I think it's become uh, much more complex, and uh, you have to be sound fundamentally in what you're doing. But I think I think the modern football game in the last what I really taking this time off that's really taught me and really is that the things you have to do innovatively. You have to stay up with what people are doing. You can't just, you know, unless you, unless you, because I've not been at places where I was at the top of the rung on talent. You know, uh, I've been most of the time in the middle of the league in talent. So to win and, and get to win championships, you're going to have to be innovative about how you go schematically about how you adapt what you're doing to your player skills and talents and how you, you're, what are the schemes that are gonna help you be successful in the league? For example, I think Iowa State is someone that is extremely innovative in a league where they're not they're not gonna have the top talented players, but they've developed a system that is helping them compete at the top of the league because of the innovation and how they what they're doing offensively, defensively, and special teams wise. So I think I think that's the thing that I see that uh, it, that there's more value on. I'm still a person who believes you have to be fundamentally sound. Obviously, you got to, you got a you know, the team that's the most physical is the one that's usually going to win. But uh, if you're just, you know, it's not C spot run. <laughs> football it's you're going to have to be creative in your personnel you got to be creative in your training and you're going to have to be creative and innovative schematically
0: last thing for you here so because of of that difficulty of facing those complex offense um like you said going from a pro style to, to a run and shoot to whatever week to week is there any desire um to pursue an NFL opportunity where there might be not as many play styles. I'm not at all suggesting that you're not interested in the challenge of facing those different offenses from week to week, but because it is so difficult to find those schemes that can stop it, have you ever considered pursuing an NFL opportunity where you're not going to be facing that uh, different of schemes week to week?
1: Yeah. You know, I think that in the NFL, there's a whole different set of problems. I think there's an awful lot of, you know, innovation, different level talent, uh, the biggest challenge, whether it be in the NFL or it be in, in college football, is playing defense. That's the biggest challenge, and I love it. I, I love, uh, there, there's not the diversity and scheme in the NFL than what you have in the college, but you're starting to see with Mahomes and Kyler, and you're, you're, I think you're going to see some changes in the league and, 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 and it, and it become a little bit more of a challenge to play defense. But NFL, you're, you're narrowing down. You have the, top 32 defensive uh, you got 11 guys on a team you got 32 teams the top defensive players in the country so defense is such a, a higher quality in the league uh it's it's just much tougher uh you're not going to do it you're not you're not going to out scheme people in the nfl i love college because you have all these different i think there's you know and also the influence on the players and i obviously I, you know coach belichick's a good friend and i i've i, I obviously would uh you know, I, I've had I've had some interest in doing that, uh, but really I see myself as a teacher uh and as a as a molder of young men and uh a builder of character and so I've always you know felt like my call or my calling where I what I was called to do was to be a teacher and an educator uh in college. And and also also the other thing is that you know, I wanna run my own program. You know, I've been I've, I've had the opportunity to do that and for you know twenty years as a as a head coach and twenty plus years and and uh, so I just prefer the college game and and I really do because of the things that you're talking about. I love that. I love the challenges. I love um, uh, you know um, the diversity and 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 scheme that you're going to see and and just like you'd see like it's very different from the SEC to the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve. I mean, you don't see the teams running all the different schemes in the SEC like you see the high powered offenses in the Pac 12 and the Big 12. Really, the, those, the, but on the same hand, that the, the defense is not being played as well in those leagues either, and the teams that do play defense win those leagues. In thirteen, we had the best de- we had top, with the top scoring defense, and and one of the top in thirteen and fourteen in the league and getting takeaways, interceptions, and really you know playing a, a, a pack style defense and and really excelling at a high level. Guess what? We had double digit wins those seasons, and you know played for the Pack twelve championship in thirteen. So. You know that's the challenges, but it's different from league to league, and that's why I'm saying you got to fit, you got to, got to match a place. But you know, I think one of the reasons why I've had so much success, and I've had a lot of coaches, my assistants that worked for me. I think, uh, you know, I've had ten or eleven guys that've gone on to be Division One major college head coaches. At uh, uh, you know that I've had uh, you know Coach Ball who's at, at, at Northern Arizona, uh, that's a, a one you know one double A head coach. Just got his head coach job last year, so. You know, we've had a lot of successes because I've had great teachers, great men first that are, that. you know, I'm telling you, many, you know, I, I love college because you know, 98% of these guys are not going to make it in the NFL, uh, but it's still about team. It's still uh, about making a difference and molding these young men, about getting an education. So those are that, that's why I just feel like I'm a better fit in college.
0: That's Todd Graham on the High Motor Podcast. Hey, Coach, really appreciate the time today. I I hope all goes well for you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on the sideline come December. All right. Looking forward to it. I want to get something off my chest here. It's something that I find funny, but it's also something I feel like I kind of have to tiptoe around because it's it's not widespread. I don't want to lump all college football programs. I don't want to lump all coaches, all media into these oversimplified buckets. And I was going to talk about this on the show anyway, but then Vince Merrow, he's the Kentucky Associate Head Coach and Recruiting Coordinator, Vince Merrow gave me even more reason to talk about it. So first, this was his quote uh, earlier this week on Kentucky Sports Radio, and a hat tip to Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South for bringing it to my attention. His quote was, I'm knocking down doors to national media because these guys are really pissing me off. It's pissing me off. I was listening to Tom Leach and those guys. I should stop listening to radio. I guess they said Kentucky quarterback Terry Wilson was the last rated quarterback in the preseason. We should start a poll. And I'm going to talk to the BBN, Big Blue Nation, just like coaches get fired for wins and losses when all these reporters come out and say, hey, this team is going 4-8 and this team ain't going to do that. If they're wrong, they should get fired. Okay. So first of all, going after the national media for no Kentucky love is beyond absurd. Kentucky got so much national love last year. People were drooling over Benny Snell, Josh Allen, that defense, respectfully so. I mean, that Georgia game, that was billed as a huge one, locally, nationally, everywhere. Kentucky football got their national love for a program that has done nothing. For a program that has done absolutely nothing and had a great season last year. Kentucky football got their national love. And he's not even referring specifically to that, but I am right now. It's not like no one was or is talking about Kentucky football. I think that's important to note, even if he didn't mention that specifically. Number two, with the media predictions, anyone else find it strange, maybe whatever the right word is there, I'll say strange, when programs tweet out favorable media predictions? And first, I want to make something clear. I separate preseason predictions into two categories, team and player. So, meaning player predictions are like preseason All-America predictions, preseason All-Conference, Heisman watch list, that kind of stuff. And then team stuff is bowl predictions, records, conference finish, preseason top 25, all that stuff. Like, for example, Florida State, let me grab it here. Florida State tweeted the other day, And The quote was, more preseason recognition for Marvin Wilson. He's a defensive tackle. More preseason recognition for Marvin Wilson, who was named a third-team preseason All-American by Athlon Sports. So not only – I'm totally fine with that. But not only is it fine, I I love it. Generate some buzz for your guys. But here is where I get lost. Two items here. First, I get lost on when teams tweet out that they made, like, the Athlon Top 25 or the Phil Phil Steele Top 25 or one of the playoff projections – For one of the the biggest magazines or biggest media outlets, ESPN, whatever, they made the preseason AP top 25, the coaches pull, that stuff. For all of the talk that coaches and players and AD say about blocking out the noise, being one team, being this team, not caring about the outside predictions, but then you go out and tout, we made the ESPN preseason top 25. We made the AP top 25. I don't get it. I mean, Iowa State did it a few weeks back. The tweet here was, Iowa State football ranks number 24 in Athlon Top 25. And I get, I understand that you want to promote your program. I don't understand why you're doing it in this fashion. I mean, programs, they love the predictions sometimes. When it's positive, the predictions are awesome. They're they're, they're accurate. They're, they're noteworthy. When it's not great, when you miss an AP Top 25, when a certain rankings doesn't love your metrics, When a magazine predicts you to finish 6th in your division, 8th in your conference, whatever, they're wrong. It's all the media's fault. That's the first thing. It's teams, there's this love-hate relationship with the credibility. It's either a, yes, we're ranked, or a, we're not ranked, what idiots, who predicted this? Which, if you're going on both sides of that, by rule, it means you're not buying the credibility of the predictor. The same predictor whom you loved last week or you loved last year. All of a sudden, you're calling them an idiot because something goes wrong. And if you watch this every single year, you'll see teams that love a prediction one year, hate it from the exact same media outlet the next year, and then love it again. So you're going from this person, this media outlet is credible, look what they did, top 25, awesome, to they don't know what they're doing, why are we not in the top 25, block out the noise, we don't care what anybody says. Next year, back to the same thing. Hey, we're in the top 25 again. Like, is this just me? No, really, am I the only one who's amused by it? Like, Marrow's comments are obviously ridiculous. I mean, it's starting with... It's a false equivalency saying coaches get fired for going 4-8, so media members should get fired for getting a prediction wrong. Like, I can't even take that comparison seriously. It's laughable. I mean, a better comparison is like a media member making a prediction and a coach making a prediction by saying you know our offense is going to be better this year we're very pleased with our changes in offense we're going to be a lot better passing the ball downfield and then they just shit the bed on offense they don't have a vertical passing game now they might get fired because they shit the bed sure but they're getting fired for the actual shitting of the offensive bed or the defensive bed not for the prediction of we're going to be good on offense, whoops we weren't they're not getting fired for that part, you follow me? So this is just cherry-picking. The false equivalencies, the positive-negative, the love-hate relationship. Is this all amusing to anyone but me? And I have just loads of respect for for these magazines, for the media outlets. I have tons of respect for Athlon. I mean, they put more time into their operation than any other publication. Like, I've had Mitch Light on the show before. I've had Steven Lassen on the show before. You've listened to them. You've listened to them here on the High Motor Podcast. You've listened to them on other podcasts. It doesn't take long to understand that they know what they're doing. Like, Phil Steele knows what he's doing. He needs a copy editor. I don't always agree with all the predictions, but Phil Steele is out there speaking to dozens of coaches across the country. That guy conducts, like, 100 hour-long interviews with head coaches across country. Assistant coaches, players, everybody. Bill Connolly, SB Nation, is a statistical genius with phenomenal previews. I mean, some guys at ESPN, CBS, Fox, they do loads of work. Sure, there are outliers, but these people know what they're talking about. They have the experience. They're they're putting numbers in there. They're putting film into it. They're putting the work into it. I mean, this isn't just me saying that they're wrong. That Iowa State isn't actually a top 25 team. I think Iowa State is absolutely a top 25 team. It's about teams playing both sides of it. I mean, it's not surprising at all. I mean, that's how things go. Like I said, I guess I'm just amused. And maybe it is just me. If I am way off, throw me a line on Twitter. I'm curious. At adowdy 88 at HighMotorPod... Curious or thoughts. Alright, so like I mentioned before, Jim Weber, he's going to be on next week's episode. So ping the show with any mailbag questions, at High MotorPod. anything. Jim, he is a man of randomness. So Jim Weber will be on next week's show. And let's call it for this show. A big thanks again to Todd Graham for talking. Thanks to you all for tuning in. Thanks again to checking out the Malar Harden episode a couple weeks ago. I, I sincerely get really fired up seeing those numbers. That was awesome. 64 days until college football is back just a shade over two months until the 2019 college football season kicks off Florida-Miami, Arizona-Hawaii, Saturday, August 24th. I am Andrew Dowdy and thank you for listening to the High Motor Podcast.
1: I saw a friend today, it had been a while, and we forgot each other's names, but it didn't matter cause deep inside, the feeling still remained the same we talked of knowing one before you met and how you feel more than you see and other worlds that lie in spaces in